1: we got a terrific show lined up for you today, including uh, guests William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll visit with Rick LoCastro. He is our Collier County Commissioner, and I believe it's District 1. I should have looked that up before the show, uh, but it, in the east part of Naples and uh, Marco Island. We'll also visit with uh, Dr. Rick Morton, who is the Vice President of Engagement at Lifeline Children's Services. He's been to the Ukraine 26 times, and his three children are all adopted from the Ukraine. Should be an interesting conversation. And Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston at Space Architecture and author of many books, his latest, Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, uh, Pioneering the Space Frontier, uh, co-authored with uh, Buzz Aldrin. It is April the 15th and a day of good news. It's a good Friday. And on this day in 1947, Jackie Robinson, age 28, became the first uh, African-American player in the Major League Baseball when he stepped into Ebbets Field in Brooklyn to compete for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, Robinson broke the color barrier in a sport that had been segregated for more than 50 years Exactly 50 years later, on April 15, 1997, Robinson's groundbreaking career was honored and his uniform number 42 was retired from Major League Baseball by Commissioner Bud Selig, in a ceremony attended by over 50,000 fans in New York City's Shea Stadium. Robinsons were the first ever number retired by every team in uh, each league in both leagues. Jack Roosevelt Robinson was born uh, January 31, 1919, in Cairo, Georgia, to a family of sharecroppers. Growing up, he excelled at all sports and attended the University of California at Los Angeles, where he was the first athlete to letter in four varsity sports baseball, basketball, football, and track. After financial difficulties forced Robinson to drop out of UCLA, he joined the Army in 1942 and was commissioned as a second lieutenant. After protesting instances of racial discrimination during his military service, Robinson was court-martialed in 1944. Ultimately, though, he was honorably discharged. After the Army, Robinson played for a season in the Negro uh, American League. In 1946, he spent one season with the Canadian minor league team in the Montreal Royals. In 1947, he was called up to the majors and soon became a star infielder and outfielder for the Dodgers, as well as the National League's Rookie of the year. In nineteen forty nine, the right-hander was named the National League's most valuable player and the league's batting champ. Robinson played on the National League's All-Star team from nineteen forty-nine to fifty-four and led the Dodgers to six National League pennants in one World Series. In nineteen fifty-five, he was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame and in 62, his first year of eligibility. Despite his talent and success as a player, he would face tremendous racial discrimination throughout his career from baseball fans and fellow players. Additionally, Jim Crow laws prevented Robinson from using the same hotels and restaurants as his teammates while playing in the South. Can you imagine that? How humiliating. After retiring from baseball in 1957, Robinson became a businessman and a civil rights activist. He died October 24, 1972 at the young age Of only 53, died in Stamford, Connecticut. The great Jackie Robinson. What an impact he had and what a leader uh, in baseball and in America. Governor Ron DeSantis signed HB 5, the Reducing Fetal and Infant Mortality Act, to protect the lives of Florida's most uh, vulnerable by prohibiting all abortions after 15 weeks of gestation, uh, House Bill 5 protects babies in the womb who have beating hearts, who can move, who can taste, who can see, and who can feel pain, said Governor DeSantis. Life is a sacred gift worthy of protection, and I'm proud to sign this great piece of legislation which represents the most significant protections for life in the state's modern history, he said. HB 5 prohibits an abortion after an unborn child has reached 15 weeks of gestation, While other states such as California and Colorado are taking extreme measures uh, against the right to life by passing legislation which denies babies in the womb any right or protections and provides for unrestricted abortions on demand until the point of birth, Florida continues to move in a pro-life direction. In June of 2020, Governor DeSantis signed SB 404, legislation which requires Uh, Written consent from a minor's parent or legal guardian for an abortion. Last year, Governor DeSign assigned SB 2518, which helps to reduce uh, maternal uh, uh, mortality rates and improve health outcomes for mothers and children by extending postpartum eligibility for Medicaid from 60 days to 12 months post-delivery. And after seven years of legal challenges by pro-abortion activists and active judges, uh, Florida's 24-hour waiting period was upheld and reinstated by a circuit court judge earlier this week. HB 5 amends several other sections of law with the aim of furthering uh, reducing fetal and infant mortality. Earlier this week, Governor DeSantis signed the groundbreaking legislation to support fatherhood in Florida. We discussed that in our earlier show. HB 7065, which includes educational programs, mentorship programs, and one-on-one support to encourage responsible and involved fatherhood in Florida. The bill is it's, uh, tied to nearly $70 million in funding to provide a wide spectrum of family and youth services uh, for, for kids in Florida. The combination of this measure sends a strong message that it's the state of Florida is truly focused on putting Florida families first. Well done, state legislature, as well as Governor DeSantis. Great piece of legislature signed into law. Furthermore, Governor DeSantis and Florida lawmakers are moving to pass a redistricting map that gets rid of previous gerrymandered seats and gives Republicans a 20-to-8 advantage. Now, these would be uh, for the House of Representatives, the U.S. House of Representatives. The new map proposed by Governor DeSantis will give Republicans four new seats in Congress, Democrats are threatening uh, legal challenges, of course, to the map. According to creative-loving state lawmakers, will uh, return to Tallahassee next week for a special session after DeSantis vetoed a congressional map passed during this year's regular session. Anthony Sabatini joined the War Room on Thursday to discuss the proposed map. He said that it is expected to pass next Wednesday. Anthony Sabatini added that uh, this gets rid of Democrat advantage in one day. So gerrymandered. Uh, this was, of course, approved by a very liberal judges in the Supreme Court back in the uh, last decade. And now uh, this will make a great change. And I'm quite certain to be approved uh, by the judges, conservative judges we have now on uh, the Supreme Court in uh, Florida. This is such a fascinating story, and it'll be so interesting to watch it unfold. After Elon Musk offered to buy Twitter outright on Thursday morning, Twitter responded with a statement saying, Twitter Inc. today confirmed it's received an unsolicited, non-binding proposal from Elon Musk to acquire all of the company's outstanding company stock for $50.20 per share in cash. The Twitter board of directors will carefully review the proposal to determine the course of action that it believes is in the best interest of the company and all Twitter shareholders. Uh, Musk uh, announced his offer to buy the company on Thursday, issuing a tweet saying simply, I made an offer and linked it to the uh, filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission. However, since making my investment, I now realize the company will neither thrive nor serve this societal imperative in its current form, Twitter needs to be transformed as a private company, said uh, Musk. As a result, I'm offering to buy 100% of Twitter for $50 to $4.20 per, cash, per share in cash, a 54% premium over the day before I signed, investing, uh, began investing in Twitter, and a 38% premium over the day before my investment was publicly announced. My offer is my best and final offer, and it is not, if it is not accepted, I would need to reconsider my position as a shareholder. Twitter has extraordinary potential. I will unlock it, said Elon Musk. Musk's offer would represent a 54% premium over the uh, January 28th. <clears throat> it was also announced that uh, Twitter would be uh, having an all-hands meeting on Thursday to address the matter. Musk said that his was best and final offer, saying, I am not playing the back-and-forth game. I have moved straight to the end. It is a high price, and shareholders will love it, said Musk. In the event that the buy does not go through, Musk said, if the deal doesn't work, given that I don't have confidence in management, nor do I believe I can drive the necessary change in the public market, I would need to reconsider my position as a shareholder, he tweeted. This is not a threat. He went on to say it is simply not a good investment without the change that is needed to be made, and those changes won't happen without taking the company private. My advisors and my team are available after you get the letter to answer any questions. There will be more detail in our public filing. After you receive the letter and a review of the public filings, your team can call my family and office with any questions, he said. Musk uh, currently owns 9.1% of the company, the largest shareholder. Elon Musk revealed that during his TED Talk on Thursday afternoon that he has a backup plan if Twitter rejects his buy. If this, In this case, if you're not successful and the board does not accept your offer, what uh, you won't go higher. Is that plan B? Musk uh, was asked. There is, uh, Musk responded with smiling, then was asked what his backup plan is, and Musk said he would discuss that at another time. It's important to the function of—this is an important statement that he made—it's important to the function of democracy, it's important to the function of the United States as a free country and many other countries, and to help freedom in the world broadly and in the U.S., Must said. Civilizational risk is decreased the more we can increase the trust of Twitter as a public platform, and so I do think this will be somewhat painful. My strong intuitive sense is that having a public platform that is maximally trusted and broadly inclusive is extremely important uh, to, to uh, I don't care about the economics of it at all. It's important to the future of civilization. Also, according to Musk, uh, uh, secret algorithms, which said promote some tweets while not promoting others can be quite dangerous. I think he's definitely taking the company in a good direction. So, uh, The other uh, one issue, of course, is the world's richest man owning Twitter. Musk also pointed to the fact that Mark Zuckerberg, ownership of Facebook and Instagram, is a player in this market and social media as well. And uh, Saudi Prince Al-Walid has rejected Elon Musk's large $43 billion offer. Uh, He's said to have owned 5% of the stock. Uh, this includes his own holdings as well as those of held by investment company Kingdom Holding Company. He made the buy while Twitter was struggling to grow outside the U.S. It was reported uh, Al-Walid has sold as, uh, much of his shares and he no longer uh, is one of the top shareholders. So that's an interesting development as well. So we'll watch how this all unfolds. Of course, uh, the Twitter employees Are They've been bullying and uh, pushing people around, quite frankly, with their algorithms, and now this is all threatened, and they they, they are not very happy. So uh, it is an interesting time at Twitter and for the country, for the United States of America. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the
1: Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Hardin Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service Fabulous food and a rockin' good time, Lulabee's diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly staff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch, no Forty-five, forty-one. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. And you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website... ChoiceSocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with our Collier County Commissioner, Rick LaCastro. Right now, we have with us William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you so much for having me on, Bob.
1: My pleasure. William, tell us about the Cato Institute.
3: You bet. We're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of liberty at every level of government.
1: Terrific organization. I encourage you to visit the website. Uh, Cato.org, C-A-T-O uh, dot org. So, William, uh, let's talk a little bit about what's happening around the United States and uh, on Capitol Hill. Democrats are responding in a kind of a bizarre fashion with, uh, with the inflation data. Maybe you could tell us about it.
3: Indeed. So, uh, Democrats uh, in, in the White House and on Capitol Hill, um, their response does not inspire confidence. Um, so, what I mean here is is this week... Um, but Biden, you know, in the wake of, of these eye-popping increases year over year and month over month in inflation, um, Biden was quick to label it the uh, "quote Putin price hike." Um, that is to say, he, he's laying the feet of uh, the laying the the fault of inflation firmly at the feet of, uh, of Putin's invasion of the Ukraine or Ukraine. The problem with that, of course, and the, the reason it's not convincing anyone, is because inflation. Uh, predates by many, many months um, the invasion in Ukraine, so that doesn't make, make much sense. Um, Congress's response was even more bizarre. So uh, leadership in the House and Senate this week um, pointed to uh, the passage of the American Rescue Plan as providing uh, citizens with, with the, uh, the means to cope with inflation. Well, this is ludicrous at face value, given that the American Rescue Plan is widely believed by economists to have contributed to our onset of inflation. And indeed, it's up to two to three percentage points of 2021 inflation is attributable directly to the um, American Rescue Plan. So, you know, from both the president and Congress, we sort of have a, a nonsensical um, the frankly yes, a nonsensical the reaction uh to the inflation and it's certainly the, the with respect to what sort of policies they now advocate, um it's it's in essence more spending. I mean mm-hmm. more of the same. I mean it's a one trick pony, I guess, uh, the, the Democratic majority um, and the Democratic presidency. So um that is to say they're still pushing the slim down Build Back Better Act, um, which I should note here um, months ago, we spoke about Biden pointed to that as his solution to inflation. Mm-hmm. So we're just getting a lot of nonsense out of our political leaders these days when it comes to this pretty pres- uh, this very pressing issue.
1: Yeah, and of course it's not selling in Peoria, is it? I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that uh, the polls are just demonstrating that uh, uh, Biden's popularity continues to crater.
3: It, indeed, so this is something I didn't necessarily appreciate because I was too young. I mean, I guess I was two to three years old when um, inflation last affected our country to this extent. Um, but it is political dynamite, um, and indeed, as you mentioned, uh, do in part, uh, you know, is, is Biden's poll numbers have been declining steadily pretty much since day one, but um, due largely to uh, this onset of inflation. He hit record lows this week. So Mm -hmm. it was 33 percent approval, um, approval ratings. 54 percent of the country disapproves of Biden's performance. This is according to this latest poll. 43 percent strongly disapprove of Biden's performance. So these are unprecedented numbers for Biden, and indeed, um, they mirror sort of uh, Trump's lowest numbers and. Um, this is terrible news for the majority, not just for Biden, um, but for the Democrats in Congress. I mean, you know, historically, midterm elections have been difficult for the party that that holds power in the White House. Um, but, uh, you know, and that's when the president is moderately popular. Um, in this instance, the president's numbers are in the tank. Um, the Democrats have, bare, you know, very slim majorities in the House and the Senate. And it is shaping up to be a bloodbath, I mean, frankly.
1: Yeah, I mean, even, even the Democrats, the pundits, are saying, you know, it's not going to be good. It's looking, it's not looking good right now. And Bill Meyer, for example, suggested, well, we really need some common-sense legislation to gain back the popularity for the Democrats. In other words, suggesting that none of, the th- none of the things that they're recommending make sense.
3: Here, here, and I will just echo what you said. That even Democrat, uh, you know, strategists and uh, uh, pollsters are are, are sounding the alarm. And, and to this point, Politico reported this morning. They did an interview with Biden's personal pollster, and this is a quote: He said, "This is the worst political environment in his lifetime." Um, so, you know, when you've got um, the Spin Masters conceding as much, then you, you you know that the Democrats have a pretty darn big problem, you know, coming down the pike.
1: Absolutely, because most of the polls uh, favor Democrats. You can usually discount the results as a result. Uh, and I'm speaking about the ABC polls and so forth, but. Uh Pretty much of a disaster right now, and even in groups like uh, the uh, Black cohort or the uh, uh, Hispanic cohort, uh, they're seeing gaining popularity for Republican positions, and certainly loss of uh, loss of uh, popularity of uh, of the Democrats. So, before I let you go, any any update at all on uh, what's happening in the Sussman and uh, the Durham investigations?
3: Indeed there was um so the latest news on that was that the federal district court judge rejected Suspend's attempt to have the trial thrown out um, to have the trial dismissed. So this this uh this controversy is going to go to trial I believe in 3 months or so time um, and it, we hope uh, uh, as we spoke of last week that we'll have much more information shedding light on the extent of the shenanigans um both inside the government and from out, um, outside the government in 2016 with all this Russiagate nonsense.
1: So how does the process work? Are we going to wait to see how the trial comes out to find out if there's more indictments, or do you think there'll be uh, more people who have been indicted as a result of this fiasco?
3: So Durham is, is holding his cards close to his chest on this score, and certainly I hope so. This is something we've spoken about in the past. I mean, I am all for... Whomever these political uh, uh, dirty tricksters were, you know, let's surely hold them accountable. But at the end of the day, it is the government officials who use state power uh, to, to honestly persecute ordinary individuals. I mean, the mm-hmm. quarter pages of the world—they um, are the ones who should be held accountable. So uh, the answer to your question is, I don't know, but I, I do very much hope that that it is the government officials. Who will ultimately incur responsibility for, you know, uh, the, the malfeasance that has since come to light.
1: William Yateman, again, research fellow at the Cato Institute. I so genuinely appreciate uh, your update on what's happening at Capitol Hill and in the Beltway. Uh, again, Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. William, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you so much for having me
1: on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Rick LaCastro. He is a Collier County Commissioner. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com. Or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience Bob Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board and I hope you'll check out the website. We're developing policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative and the website is the FGA. Dot org coming up going to be visiting with larry bill endowed professor at the university of houston right now we have with us rick lacastro he is a collier county commissioner rick gosh i should have looked this up beforehand but i think it's district one is it not
2: absolutely district one okay. so you don't have to look anything up bob <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: thank you so much for taking time to visit with us and we have so many questions uh first of all uh we're operating right now with uh and seeking a collier county manager uh any update on that
2: Absolutely. So at our last County Commissioner meeting this past Tuesday, we uh, narrowed the field down from we had 40 applicants from all over the country, three of the 40 were internal candidates, the rest were from all over the country, and we narrowed the field down to seven finalists. And that's based on all the commissioners looking at the resumes and doing a deep dive into their backgrounds. And so now with those seven, we will uh, do, do a significant background check on all candidates, whether they're internal or external. And then, if you know whoever comes through clear on a background check, I, I, I would hope it would be all seven, but then we will uh, conduct interviews. The, ca- the commissioners will private interviews with each of the finalists, and then they will also in person come to a uh, commissioner meeting and make a presentation from the podium. So, we're getting close, and I was very impressed. With the uh, candidate um, applicants that we had,
1: oh, that's good news. Is there a, do you have a deadline or a, a date that you're thinking about having this new person announced?
2: Well, our current county commissioner is set to retire around July, but he's made it very clear he's not heading out the door prematurely. So we think we're way ahead of schedule. or on schedule uh, to do all the things that still need to be done, and he's, you know, he's he's not going to um, exit on a definitive date. But I, I would hope by around May or uh, maybe early June at the latest, we, we would have zeroed in on our selection because especially the out-of-towners coming in and making presentations and whatnot. And we still have a bit of homework to do, but we're right on schedule.
1: That's good to hear. So, uh, Rick, I know that affordable housing is a big issue here in Cuyahoga County. We're seeing the price of real estate go through the roof. And, of course, it makes it difficult for people who serve us here in Cuyahoga County to be able to afford real estate. I know that you put some money, if I'm not mistaken, the commissioners, Uh, the commission towards uh, affordable housing. Can you give us an update?
2: We did. Um, I'm the chair of the Affordable Housing Advisory Committee. When I was elected in November 2020, the commissioner who was serving as the chair asked me if I would uh, be interested. And one of the things I learned in the military is if you want to affect change, if you want to find a solution to something, get a seat at the table. I'm not saying we have all the answers, but in the time, you know, I've been in the chair and, and have been able to do a deep dive with our committee and with our county staff, we have done a lot. I always tell folks, it's not a Collier County problem, it's a national problem. Mm-hmm. Housing has always been expensive here. And now that inflation and real estate costs have rise, it's just exacerbated in an, in an area like Southwest Florida and Collier County, but all over the country, they're suffering similar uh, type things. But here, we just we moved uh, $20 million into a housing fund that allows us to do all kinds of things. Uh, we could possibly purchase property and then um, you know, work out some sort of um, agreement with a contractor to um, put in affordable type housing and lots of other things. One thing I would tell your listeners is if you're struggling with affordable housing or, or higher utility costs or all the things that inflation is affecting, please go to our Collier County um, website and all you have to do is type in housing in the search block. It'll bring you to a page that has a multitude of county and state programs. We have a lot of people who are um, getting part of their utilities paid, getting some help with some rent. There are programs out there. Wow! And sometimes my disappointment is there's money in those um, programs still because of the lack of people who apply for them. So a lot of folks, they, they have the, 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 the struggle, the challenge, but there are things out there. I'm not saying it's a magic wand, but there are a lot of programs out there that can help offset uh, and then we are also doing quite a bit in the county um, to also address the, the problem now and into the future with um, quite a few projects and, and um, other, other types of monetary help that we're trying to get, you know, folks who are struggling, and it's a lot of people.
1: Well, absolutely. Uh, I'm wondering, are you considering uh, changes like in density so that uh, maybe smaller lots are somehow making uh, housing more affordable because of the right now? I'm sure the code gets in the way of people being able to afford homes.
2: Absolutely, well, we, we've always had things in the code that if an affordable housing project was built, the trade-off was uh, we allow it for a higher density or the consideration for it. It doesn't necessarily mean, you know, it doubles in size, but we've always had those type of adjustments in the code. One of the things that, um, as commissioners, we actually approved, and it was probably been about a couple of months ago, is not only um, more flexibility in some of the things we can control, whether it's the code or another thing that we we voted to do is there was a project that was supposed to kick off in april and so back in february at our commissioner meeting we said that's too late we wanted to kick off basically next week and it was another housing offset uh type of monetary help um, program that uh that had recently come down through the state but obviously density and things like that have always been and now more than ever we, we need to exercise those for the projects that make sense it's not a matter of just dumping affordable housing everywhere and then patting ourselves on the back. Right. I mean, you know, we've got to make sure we do it in a smart way, and um, you know, uh, help as many people as we can, uh, but also uh, control growth in our community and make sure that uh, you know, you know, we're not doing something too quickly and in the wrong places.
1: No, absolutely, and of course, I think that would allow the free market to determine the value of property, as opposed to some sort of a subsidy or doing things that would get us probably too much involved in the entire process. So uh, I'd be curious, out of curiosity, how's inflation affecting our budget in Collier County?
2: Well, our budget hasn't changed necessarily in the sense of, you know, we've, we're, at, we're a little over $2 million in Collier County, but what it does is it affects your buying power. And so I, I recently met with a bunch of, of developers and construction, um, you know, type companies and whatnot to figure out what their challenges are and inflation affects the cost of everything. So although the amount of money we have available, um, it it fluctuates slightly right now, how we spend it is what fluctuates. I had a developer tell me, if you want to put a roof on your house, it'll take me 35 weeks to get the trusses. And oh, by the way, they won't be the same price as they were a year ago. Uh. That affects the county as well. So whether we're paving a road, filling potholes, doing beach restoration, the cost of goods and services, and especially gas, even if they didn't raise the price of the sand, we use for uh, beach restoration and trust me they have um but the reason it, it it goes up exponentially is the truck to get it there and the fuel whether it's diesel or gasoline so fuel is tied to so many things when it comes to uh, budget and and how we invest the taxpayer dollars uh in our community to repair improve uh preserve different things and so it's uh it's affecting a lot of things speed and cost
1: yeah, absolutely. Well, a good report. Uh, last question I'd like to ask you about is that a few years ago, and uh, the Collier County Commissioners, before you were board uh, a decided to buy the what is now I guess called the Golden Gate Golf Course, and uh, just wondering uh, what's happened with the property and what's our plan
2: well that did predate me i don't know that i would have been a big fan of what i say is overpaying for a golf course to try to quote save it there's lots of other ways the county can um, utilize their oversight and even taxpayer dollars in the best possible way Um, the the county spent i believe it was about 29 million dollars on the golden gate golf course which was deteriorating and the plan was let's let the county buy it and make sure it doesn't go to the uh, lowest bidder and maybe we have something put on there that that wouldn't be good for the neighborhood. But you don't have to spend 29 million and buy the golf course to do that. Uh, Any developer would need our permission. So it's not like we're gonna plop down four storage units and, and five Valvoline oil change stations on that footprint. But having said that, the county does control it and it's not really one project. In the end, the plan has always been a golf course of some sort and it looks like we're gravitating towards a smaller a smaller course with some other amenities on it but there's also a footprint on that acreage for possible affordable housing and then the thing i'm really most excited about especially as a veteran there's about a 10 acre footprint on that same area for a state-funded veterans nursing home and myself and a couple of the other commissioners went up to tallahassee in february to speak with Governor DeSantis's team and um, the Veterans Administration in Tallahassee, uh, who controls where state-funded veteran nursing homes go. And I'm proud to report that they've told us on August 1st, the, the, the veteran team up in Tallahassee will recommend to Governor DeSantis that Collier County be the next spot for a state-funded uh, veterans nursing home. So we're really excited about that. It doesn't mean we'd break ground tomorrow but to be next on the list means maybe in three to five years, uh, which is the window that they've given us. They really plan out far, but to know we're saving about 10 acres of that golf course property for a veteran's nursing home, which will um, help um, over a hundred, I believe it's about 125 unit uh, facility that the state would uh, build, fund, help support, and obviously in conjunction with the county. So that'll be a, a really great thing. And we have leapfrogged, if you will, over so many other counties that were being considered because we really made a big push that that collier county could really benefit from this that we're a patriotic veteran supporting community and they also liked the footprint and the area it goes so we we made sure that 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 tallahassee knew all the bells and whistles uh for that for that possible facility here in collier county and and they agreed so Uh, i'm very excited about that so that whole footprint will we'll eventually be several things. But it's still a little bit of a ways away,
1: but well, we're getting there. We really appreciate the update. And it's a great note to end on Good Friday. Rick LaCastro, again, our Kaya County Commissioner in District 1. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thanks, Bob. I appreciate it.
1: My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Dr. Rick Morton. He is the Vice President of Engagement with Lifeline Children's Services. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Bob Hartman Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network.
1: Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees
0: Harden show, and now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse. I have proudly served as board chairman for the first 15 years of its existence, and now they're building a 43,000 square foot performing arts center in downtown Naples. Just so exciting. And also bringing you professional New York style theater at its very best. Invisible Hand is running through the uh, actually through tomorrow, so uh, great opportunity to see a great play and others coming forth. It's uh, you can go to the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Well, the Republican National Committee voted unanimously on Thursday to withdraw from participating in presidential debates hosted by the Commission on Presidential Debates, debates which has been hosting these debates since 1988. Despite the GOP move, it's ultimately up to the individual candidate, not the party, as to whether to partake in the debates hosted by the CPD. In January, a letter to the CDP, uh, RNC Chairwoman Ronna Romney McDaniel wrote, The RNC has a duty to ensure that it's full. Future presidential nominees have the opportunity to debate their opponents On a level playing field, so long as the CPD appears intent on stonewalling the meaningful reforms necessary to restore the credibility with the Republican Party as a fair and nonpartisan actor, the RNC will take every step to ensure that future Republican presidential nominees are given the opportunity elsewhere. Accordingly, the RNC will initiate the process of amending the rules of the Republican Party as our upcoming winter meeting to prohibit future Republican nominees from participating in the CPD-sponsored debates. And I think this is such a good move. You can recall that uh, uh, Chris Wallace stonewalled the President of the United States, uh, Donald Trump, when talking about uh, for example, uh, Hunter Biden uh, during the last debate, and we, you can recall other instances where the moderator influenced the outcome of the debate. And uh, certainly, tab, uh, tossed lobs two uh, softballs to the uh, Democrat candidate, meaning and meanwhile, uh, difficult and more uh, abrupt questions to the Republicans. So I think this is a good move, and with today's environment for. Uh, first of all, for information, and uh, we don't need to go through the CPD. We can certainly uh, have the information and get out to in other ways and through other sources have debates uh, for the candidates. Well, Texas Governor Greg Abbott and the governor of Mexican state of Nuevo León signed a memorandum of Understanding Wednesday expressing their shared commitment to the increased security along their shared border. Abbott and Governor Samuel Garcia signed the agreement at a news conference in Laredo, Texas. They reached the agreement about Abbott expanded border security measures through Operation Lone Star, directing Texas Department of Public Safety officers to perform enhanced security checks of commercial trucks at ports of entry. This led to protests and major jams, halting international commerce at least three major ports of entry uh, on Monday and Tuesday. And when I talk about major jams, I'm talking about hours wait for these truck drivers to get through the port. Obviously, creating big uh, barriers to commerce. Well, it was on purpose, quite frankly. And the governor's saying, "Hey, I need your support, Governor Abbott." And uh, now, looks like we've uh, they've complied. They've, they're certainly going to provide that uh, that support. Despite the criticism he received, Abbott said his plan is working. Within days of implementing it, Garcia called him to say he wanted to help Texas secure the border. Texas has been overrun by a record number of illegal immigrants crossing from Mexico into Texas with the assistance of cartels, Abbott said. Governor Garcia and I reached an agreement today, and that addresses all of these issues. Garcia began implementing security measures on the Rio Grande River and at ports of entry in Nuevo León on Tuesday. Governor uh, Nueva León, located in the northeast region of Mexico, shares a 14-kilometer border with Texas. The laredo columbia Solidarity International Bridge, which saw backlogs as a result of Abbott's new policy, connects uh, Laredo, Texas, to uh, Mexico. Garcia said his alliance with Texas was very important. I'm happy to make the history because two states are making a memorandum of understanding and we have to uh, help both sides to help secure the border. I wish my neighbors would join us in the Memorandum of Understanding, he added. Abbott said the clogged bridges at the uh, Mexico-Texas border will end with he reaches agreements with the other Mexican governors, who apparently are now reaching out and uh, offering support. Clogged bridges can end only through the type of collaboration that we are demonstrating today here in Texas and Nuevo León, he said. The ultimate way to end the clog at the border, Abbott said, is for Biden to do his job and to secure the border. He said he understands that some Texans' frustration over the backlog at the ports of entry, but he also understands the frustration expressed by Texans overrun by illegal immigration. He said to Texans, if you want relief from the clogged borders, you need to call President Biden and tell him to maintain the Title 42 expulsion policy that has been in place for years. You need to tell President Biden to aggressively enforce the Remain in Mexico policy. You need to call your member of Congress and insist that they hold the Biden administration accountable. Abbott also uh, announced that crossing the Laredo Columbia Bridge will return to normal, effective immediately and uh, remain that way as long as Nuevo León executes this historic agreement. Since uh, Nuevo León has increased security on its side of the border, Abbott said Texas DPS was returning to its previous policy of randomly stopping vehicles, crossing the bridge into Texas instead of performing enhanced checks. In the one week that they uh, performed them, he noted, roughly 25% of inspected trucks were found to be unsafe for Texas roads and removed from service. Abbas said that the Texas Secretary of State's office has been contacted by all Mexican governors of states conducted to the Texas by bridge, including Chihuahua, Coahuila, and Pass. I mispronounced that, I'm sure. But he said he was also contacted by the chief officer of the North American unit of the Mexican Secretary of Foreign Affairs. It'll be interesting to see how the Biden administration responds to all this and whether they'll take any legal action at all to try and prohibit or prevent it. But we really appreciate Governor Abbott's uh, efforts in, that, in, in our behalf. And on the, the behalf of uh, citizens and patrons of uh, Texas, I just only hope that uh, New Mexico, uh, Nevada, and California will take similar action, though I suspect they probably won't. But uh, what will happen is it's like squeezing a balloon. If people can't get in through Texas, hey, they're going to go to California, unfortunately. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Bell, a endowed professor at the University of Houston in Space Architecture. That and more right here in The Bob Harden Show on The Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show here on The Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: You have questions about your retirement?
0: Come back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host,
1: Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Professor Larry Bell. He's an endowed professor at the University of Houston in Space Architecture. Uh, he's written many books. His latest is uh, Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, Pioneering the Space Frontier. It's a book that he co-authored with Buzz Aldrin, of course, the great space astronaut. He also writes a column uh, for Newsmax. It's called On Point. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, it's
4: always great. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Professor. So your latest is such an interesting uh, topic. Best Worst Presidents Polls, Party Affiliation, Key Factors, Trump All. Maybe you can tell us about it.
0: Yeah,
4: that was an interesting article to research. Uh, you know, we, we see these polls, and maybe we take them with a grain of salt in terms of who's up, who's down, and what's happening, and so on. And so looking at, looking at you know, of course, the presidential polls are are you know, key among our interests. And uh, and kind of looking at all the different factors The polls, of course, it depends on who you ask. Mm-hmm. It depends on what you ask. Uh, and there's a lot of other factors that have to do with looking back in history of what was going on in the country in that time and the things are going right, things going wrong. You know, the unforced errors where you can legitimately blame, you know, presidential decisions. And, you know, I think a lot of people think of Jimmy Carter and stagflation and the Iran uh, issues that were going on there, the hostages and and the gas pumps, and and a whole lot of other issues. Uh, he was considered not a very good president, and uh, and and then we look at uh, others who, you know, had had major achievements. You know, I think we, you know, the, the notion that Ronald Reagan had a major influence on kind of kind of ending the Cold War and uh, his vision for America, the shiny city of the hill, and that, so on, and. And Kennedy, kind of a a mixed thing, you know, the Bay of Pigs. At the same time, we think of the, uh, you know, the space program, you know, the uh, the race to the moon, and and uh, so we have all these different different factors that affect people, and so some of the polls reflect, uh, you know, snapshots in time, and some of them have to do with kind of retrospective views of, well, how do they do overall, and did they meet the needs of the country, and so on? And then you 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 look at that in terms of the people asked, in addition, and how values change over time, and priorities change over time, and
0: mm-hmm.
4: and and you see the uh, it's, it's really interesting when you see some of these polls that look at Democrat versus Republican or independent views of successful presidents, and sometimes they're absolutely opposite you know uh, biden was was quite you know both the independents and and uh and conservatives was just about the bottom of the bottom of the pool right and uh and but on the other hand trump was with with the democrats so so it's it's an interesting uh, snapshot of uh how we think and who we are
1: yeah but of course the proof of the pudding is in the uh, in the tasting. And uh, when you take a look back on what President Trump accomplished in terms of the tax law, in terms of uh, the economy, in terms of jobs, and you just go down the list, the border, it, he had an ama- amazing achievements. And I realize he was not popular. Of course, we had Trump derangement syndrome setting in. So people literally were not even rational about their hatred towards the president. But irrespective, I think he had a tremendous level of achievement. I think history will demonstrate that, especially in the way in uh, what's happened with uh, the Biden presidency and what's going on right now. He's doubled down on most of his policies that have led to total <laughs> chaos here in our economy.
2: Yeah, that's
4: true, and I think uh, I'm kind of in the process of writing an article right now. I'm thinking of you know Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama recently gave advice to the, to the uh, Democrats that I hope they take. It says, it says, you know, really emphasize what you've done. And I I think, yeah, good luck. Good luck with that. You know, remind us, remind us of all you've done and remind us of what's happened with the border, what's happened with crime, what's happened with international policy and the Afghan withdrawal and the, you know, all these other disasters, you know, the, you know, the, the, uh, going after uh, parents that are objecting you know to their school board activities and priorities with FBI investigations <laughs> and,
2: uh-huh. and yeah
4: yeah for sure let's let's remind the public of, of what you've accomplished and and uh, I think that's uh not, maybe not a winning uh, uh, thing for them but uh, nevertheless' uh, there's, there's kind of this notion of
1: have we had enough? Uh, yeah, you, you can almost see a group of people sitting around a table with this group groupthink going on and coming up. Well, you know what our problem is? We have a messaging problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <Just> maybe,
4: we, <laughs> maybe defunding the police wasn't such a good idea. Maybe we ought to <laughs> kind
1: of retool that one a little bit. Yeah. I mean, Again, I just think about that. Now, uh, Bill Maher making the comment that, you know, we need some common sense in the Democrat Party. He says if they do things that have common sense and get rid of all this like, woke nonsense, perhaps they have a chance. And he's pointing out that they, you know, right now it's just absurd. What We're training our military uh, to to uh, about white rage. <laughs> it's, I'm sorry, Professor, I'm just, I can't contain my... No, Mark,
4: it's a, it's an interesting you know, a can of worms. And, and the. I think one thing that's happened is that the the messaging has become more than a message in the sense of, you know, when people are kind of getting a perspective of what happens when policies go wrong mm-hmm. and it happens in the pocketbook. We see it with, you know, everything supply chain. And, and a lot of this backs up to the climbing, you know, the climate hysteria that I've been railing against for many, many years or wrote a couple of books about, which is all about getting subsidies. It was all about wealth transfer in the United Nations. It was all about subsidies for, winds, you know, windmills and sunbeams. And, and we see the, we see the consequences of this in Europe, of course, with, with uh, Germany totally dependent upon, you know, the Russian oil and gas, much of Europe. And, and you see what happens when we change energy policies here and with inflation and, and, and maybe stagflation is coming, and so on. And, and until you see the consequences of things, and you start kind of connecting the dots where all of these things that are going wrong seem to have a common core. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this sense of, what is our nation? What do we believe in? Uh, what about free speech? What about Musk uh, You know, using his, using his uh, vision and his money to restore free speech? Yeah, and, and can you imagine we we had we we had a president that that was denied a platform to speak to the populace with with Trump, and yet the same platform was one that, that shut down the opposition before the election on on Hunter's laptop. So when you when you see how totally out of out of whack things have come, I think there's I think it goes a lot beyond simple messaging. I think people have a visceral reaction to
1: what's going on. I agree. Uh, it's unbelievable. Again, Professor Larry Bell, new book, uh, Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, Pioneering the Space Frontier, co-authored with uh, Buzz Aldrin. And again, I reference uh, Newsmax.com. Check it out. Go to uh, my, uh, On Point, which is uh, Professor Bell's column. Professor, I always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: And, hey, Bob, I always enjoy it. Thank you
1: so much. My pleasure, indeed. He's on every uh, Friday. If you'd like to tune in, make sure you hear Professor Bell because he's, in my mind, a great mind and a, a great contribution to the show. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you have a wonderful Easter weekend. Uh, I hope you join us on Monday. We're going to have Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll also ver- visit with Larry Reed. He's the professor emeritus... Our President Emeritus, I should say, of the Foundation for Economic Education. And Dr. Zudi Jasser will be back on the show. Look forward to that. He is the author of The Battle for the Soul of Islam. He's a great uh, moderate voice in the uh, Islam community, battling for the uh, control uh, against Islamic Jihad. I hope you make it a great Easter on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.